0: Hey, pull up a chair. It's hacks on tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. I'm prepared to negotiate as to how the extent of the minor infrastructure project, as well as how we pay for it. But uh, I, if we get get in a serious conversation about how to do that. I think everyone acknowledges we need significant increase in infrastructure. It's going to get down to what we call infrastructure. Some people don't think that uh, I'm not suggesting anybody here has that view, but there's a lot of folks saying that uh, the fact that we have uh, uh, millions of people not able to drink water because there's lead and it's coming through lead pipes. I think that's infrastructure. I think broadband is infrastructure. Not just roads, bridges, highways, etc. that's what we're going to talk about, and uh, I'm confident everything's going to work out perfectly.
2: All right, there we go. It reminds me of the Probably third best political movie ever made. Oh, brother, we're out there. We're Charles Durning, the governor. We're mass communicating. Well, now we're mass communicating, but we're also infrastructure negotiating. And we heard that from the president. We will be back to that topic. But first, I think we uh, need to introduce Robert, our fantastic guest, and maybe talk a little bit about the, the sad news out of Minneapolis. So who we got this week?
1: You know, speaking of brothers, you can see the silhouette of that, that hat and you know, <laughs> you know the unmistakable. <laughs> you know who that is that is the one and only hat of mark mckinnon welcome
0: hey thanks guys i always enjoy this i feel like it's kind of like a hacks anonymous uh, therapy session for me <laughs> we uh, well, yeah we all... you're
2: you've rode into town here to clean up hackville and we we appreciate it you got to help straighten us out on a few things wonderful to hey, have you here,
0: brother where art though such a great movie mike oh, it, was it was tremendous that's the movie where i figured out that george clooney was actually a great actor yeah it's yeah, a brilliant movie Yeah, no, it's. uh, I I, you know who else loves
2: that movie more than anything, Mitt Romney. And during the governor campaign, (laughs) he was obsessed with it. So if if back then we had like a a nonstop reality crew filming him, he would slip. Oh, where brother, we're out. You isms. To create an awkward (laughs) phrase into things. And even at one of the big rallies at the end, we sent people in with the brooms to do the broomstick from the movie to to crack him up. So yeah, yeah, he he can quote that thing verbatim. That's awesome. Uh, All right. Well, here we are. I think we ought to turn, sadly, to Minneapolis. Or the suburb of Brooklyn Park, where for some reason uh, state-of-the-art policing is not the case. We've had this tragic, tragic situation where Dante Wright in his car, you know, with a warrant, but only for a misdemeanor, wound up being shot by a, a veteran police officer who claimed she was reaching for her bright orange taser on the other side of the belt rather than the actual uh, a gun she pulled in on the horrible body camera footage. You can see what happened.
1: Uh, will it change anything? What do we think? Boy, I, 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 you know, I think we all thought we'd see some progress or a lot of people thought we'd see progress after what happened in Minneapolis almost a year ago. I will say this. I, I continue to be stunned. And I, I think we really, really have to figure out, to your point, Mike, how does somebody get pulled over at a traffic stop for a, 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 a registration violation and end up dead? uh, without pulling a weapon. Uh, it it really is a remarkable thing. Uh, and, and I think the politics of police reform got put back in the center stage with what happened again, just 10 miles from, uh, the trial of, uh, uh, Derek Chauvin and the murder of George Floyd.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's just such a tragic irony that would happen in exactly the same place. And, you know, it, it does there's such, first of all, I think this trial itself is going to be kind of trial of our lifetime in terms of sort of rethinking and refocusing kind of American cultural zeitgeist on, on just the whole issue of police reform. And, and I think it's likely that Chauvin is going to be found guilty and that'll be sort of a cathartic thing, I think for a lot of communities around America. And if if he's, if he's not found guilty, look out brother. I don't want to be anywhere near that city. That's for sure. But this shooting you know, I, my first instinct was to tweet out some snarky thing about, you know, Jesus Christ, how in the hell can you, you know, th- th- think that a taser, it, you know, my, first of all, I, I guess my first question was kind of to your point, Gibbs, you know, in a traffic pullover, you know, why are, why do people even have deadly force weapons? You know, if, if tasers work, why not just have tasers? I mean, why do you have to have, you know, and, and then if you have a taser and a gun, Uh, I mean, it seems like you should have either or. I mean, there just shouldn't be no circumstance where they could be confused. Or if they can be, uh, then you certainly need to do something about the technology of how it feels in your grip or whatever. So it's it's clear that it's not now. But I I withheld my instinct to tweet out something uh, to do a little more research on it. And I really feel for this woman cop. I mean, she's a veteran on the force, mother of two kids, you know, I think highly kind of. You know, respected and thought about, and um, and and, and, cl- and it's pretty clear from the the video that it was accidental. You know, I mean, it, she clearly thought she was tasing the guy, um, and and the fact is that there's only about one or two of these a year. I think that's the right you know accidental shootings, but there shouldn't be any. I mean, that's the bottom line.
2: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. They changed kind of cop training because they did have cases where they would pull the gun instead of the taser. It happened in Kansas with a rookie and a few other places. So. The procedure became to put the taser, which is a bright color, not, not, you know, black or dark gray, like the gun over on the other belt, you know, other side yeah. of the belt. So it's yeah. a big physical move to go get it. on your less dominant. Yeah. Side. So yeah. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what happened other than what we can all see. Uh, my, my instinct is there's no malice on her part, but it is. It is a huge operational failure. And, uh, you know, the whole pulling people over, I got to say, you know, I got kind of a criminal outlook and I made a bet with a friend on my last car lease, which was a 30 a month car lease that I, I, I said, God, I hate it when they send me the plates, you know, a month later and I got to go put them on. So I'm just going to not put the plates on and see what happens. You know, and I'm a white guy driving a BMW. I never got pulled over for three years. Now, you know, <laughs> I, originally years. I bet for a year and I won. And then I kept extending it as an experiment to see how long right. it took. And nope. Now, I'm a big LAPD fan. They probably got better things to do. But but <laughs> this guy, you know, has a little tear on the registration and three cops. You know, I mean, it was. It, 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 so anyway, I, I agree. The, the problem is. Minneapolis, before all this, was considered in the kind of post-Clinton era as the shining example of a reformed police department. They had all the federal programs, they got all the funding, they did everything, it sensitivity, PhDs all around, and clearly it did very little to change at least the bad apple uh, or bad apples that remain. So uh, we got to rethink the whole – it's more than writing a check for yet more programs because Minneapolis is the field test that the usual process for police reform has not worked. Now, there are other departments where I think you can argue it has, but including LAPD. But um, yeah, hopefully there'll be an awakening here.
1: Yeah, I mean there just has to – it, it police reform just has to get put higher up on the public agenda uh, and, and whether that's – Additional levels of training, I mean, listening to the to the commentary last night and, and reading through it, I mean, it just feels like this was a checklist of mistakes in, in terms of how you conduct uh, uh, how you conduct a traffic stop and what you do, you know. I mean, it, it, this is a guy, a 20-year-old who jumps back in his car and starts to drive or is going to clearly drive away. I mean, where's he going to go? I mean, is it, this, is, this guy's not, Yeah,
0: I mean, it's yeah, just Yeah, that's, it, that's a great it's a, question. just it's like, terrible, and if he had gotten away, they had his plates. So they knew they could really track him They knew where, down.
1: yeah, it wasn't like, I mean, it's not like he's going to end up in Mexico. I mean, for God's sakes, just, oh, right,
2: you know. Right. So. He'd be on KCAL to LA racing across town. Though, you know, and then, you know, the, there will be people who say, and they're, they're not crazy if he had complied he would have brought in and then let out on a quick bail. So, you know, when in doubt, you don't do that. But
1: And there's no doubt that in hindsight, look, I, I, yes, not running. But again, I don't, or or not fleeing. But it is the, the commensurate use of force that was being demonstrated exactly. just wasn't there.
0: Well, I, another good example, that was the guy who was pepper sprayed this week, too. I don't know if you saw yeah. that. But it, a, guy, a guy in fatigues, an Army. Yeah, yeah, a <laughs> lieutenant, yeah. I believe, in an Army <laughs> Signal Corps or something. Yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah.
2: All right. Well, look, we're not going to solve that one here, but we hope it moves up the agenda so it will be solved, though we can talk about the biggest thing, I guess you would say, that's happening in Washington right now, which is the $2.3 trillion, with a T, or as I like to call it, half the cost of World War II to the U.S. government, um, infrastructure (laughs) proposal that uh, President Biden has uh, aggressively put forward. And I know we've chewed over this uh, on the program before, but uh, Robert and I thought it might be fun to kind of talk about the selling or the unselling of, of a big plan like this, kind of how the communications works uh, and that sort of thing. So who wants to dive in first?
1: Well, I know, I know you've got probably some ad already mocked up, you know, some doom <laughs> and gloom music, some slow black and white images of a Democrat voting for something that. Uh, uh, Runaway he's, he's, liberal
2: spending. How much do we really know about
1: the so-called infrastructure? Yeah, there, there a few things probably in the lab. Mike Murphy the only person who both writes, directs, films <laughs> and does the voiceover for all his ads. <laughs> um uh, I'm in the union. I look I I think I mean a good place to start is uh, is exactly this. I mean you know, th- there is a bit of a race to define everything that a president proposes. Uh, and it is a huge and important thing because, uh, you know, a a lot of this stuff never gets really below the top level. I mean, obviously, yeah, uh, you know, when you get into something like healthcare, like we spent a couple of years doing in the Obama administration, you you do get a, you, you do get a couple levels deeper on certain specifics, but this is still a top, top line game. And there's a race to define this legislation and, uh, on, on really both sides on, you know, as, as you know, you uh, texted me the, this morning, Murphy. It's you know, jobs on one side and liberal boondoggles on the other, and the race to define that is is currently
0: underway. Well, part of that uh, that race to define is defining what infrastructure is itself, right? Right. I mean, you know, there is sort of the nineteen fifties definition, and then there is the you know the two thousand. Uh, 20 definition and you know is it just you know a lot of sort of like old line republicans just say well it's bridges and roads and democrats say no 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 it's you know it's 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 uh it's the internet it's internet infrastructure it's 5g it's whatever it's you know it's modern day upgrading of you know things that are way beyond just bridges and roads so that's part of the the uh the contest is just to define what infrastructure is and by the way this, just flashing back, the one the one really big mistake that I think Trump made is I think this was the thing that he could have done and should have done first, rather than healthcare, because it was the it is the kind of thing that generally you know most people say yeah or, or bridges are old or roads need repair, you know why not? But Republicans generally don't do it because of the cost figure attached to it. But that's why Trump could have done it. And uh, it's harder for a Democratic president just because Republicans are always going to say, oh, it costs too much, which is, you know, sort of where they're headed now.
2: Well, we are the party of the 50s, but I, I think President Biden kind of nailed it in the, the clip we played. It is the d- definition of infrastructure. And, you know, I, like you guys, have been around politics long enough to know. There are people on each side who will say, hey, this locomotive is leaving, so let's define every damn thing we want as infrastructure. The, the, the phrase the Dems are using is human capital. So, you know, they pay somebody $10,000 to teach me banjo now I've, you know, my infrastructure has been improved under that, that dialogue. And, you know, by the way, I'm not agree I'm for infrastructure, but I, I went to the wall street journal, not the editorial page, but the actual news site. And I, I wanted, and There's I said this like two episodes ago, <laughs> I said, well, let me look at the proposal. And so let me, let me do the democratic messaging of Gibbs. You, you tell us what's the top line democratic messaging. And then I'll give the
1: Republican fine print messaging. Uh, let me tell you, that there's there's only one message: J O B S, jobs, jobs, <laughs> jobs. jobs. That, that's right, exactly. uh, that. That's your message. That's all you need to know. Well, Biden's kind of got a one-two punch: jobs, jobs, jobs,
2: and roads and bridges, because everybody is driving on a crappy bridge somewhere and is for it. Well, in this in this 2.2 trillion, I'm happy to say that highways, bridges, and roads are 115 billion or a nickel on the entire dollar. And then, you know, you can add more airports. American airports are mostly an embarrassment. $25 billion out of $2.3 trillion. Um, and so if you keep going, you find there are a lot of these big lump things. And this is where the Republicans are going to come at it. Home care and community-based care for disabled and the elderly. We're all for that. $400 billion compared to $115 for roads, bridges, and highways. So the, the, the Republican fight or or messaging is going to be, yeah, jobs sound good. Let's read the details. And then they're going to rattle these off. I mean, here's one. And if there's any angry mail, please send it to David Axelrod at the Chicago Institute of Politics. But there is a job creation and innovation research slug of money here, $280 billion, more than double roads and highways, which, by the way, is a lot of good stuff. Semiconductors, a lot of it I'm for. But in it is an earmark for the same amount of money we're spending on airports, I believe. About seven or about $25 billion for research grants only to historically black colleges and universities. Now, Trump, of all people, ironically, was applauded two years ago for boosting the funding by about $350 million to those vital institutions that I'm for. But now equal amount of money to total airport capital earmarked only to them when there's a huge other pot they could compete for. These are the things the Republicans are going to pull out and make famous uh, as they try to renegotiate this thing maybe to a a smaller number. Now, some R's are going to be Against everything, which I think is a huge political mistake. And others are going to be talking about space lasers. You know, that's why I think we're probably going to lose this fight because our knucklehead factor is so big. But there is a credible policy case against this thing based on size and the definition of infrastructure. I'm going to be curious if we can make it because that to me will be a tell that sane republicanism may be coming back from the right.
1: Yeah, let, sorry let me for get, the
2: long speech, but I I've been waiting to rant about this. That's
1: all right. We uh we've got a storage space for your soapbox. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, let me give you a couple reasons why. And if you hear banging, it appears as if the uh, infrastructure bill is already off to a a big start near where I live. I think the, the challenge for Republicans, first and foremost, is this is, you know, it's not a jump ball. It's not a 50-50 case for for are you for or against infrastructure. I also think it's not 1984. It's not 1994. It's not 2010. You know, Murphy is making his best case that this infrastructure bill is really midnight basketball. Uh, it's that's the that's the version that that he's trying to conjure up. And I don't think that I don't think that, um, I don't think that Biden is the vessel for wild-eyed liberal boondoggle spending. I just that's just not that's just not who people see him as, or people think that he is. I don't think the Republicans have the message discipline to carry exactly what Mike just said, uh, or quite frankly, the stick to do it. So we'll see whether uh, whether they can make some headway here. McKinnon,
0: straightened us out. I, and I agree about <laughs> Biden. Pelosi, maybe not so much. This begs a, a much bigger question that I wanted to ask both of you about, which is: so we know that, thanks largely to Trump, that Republicans really don't care that much about spending or debt anymore. Uh, they s- or certainly can't credibly make that case, but uh, but they'll they'll find reasons to vote against it, and it'll probably be a party line vote, just like it was against, uh, and it'll be done through reconciliation, and there'll be you know a bunch of you know. Coal miners making out like bandits in West Virginia, <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, let's flash forward three years, and you know there's uh, there's shots in arms, checks and pockets, shovels and roads, uh, economies roaring along. I think conventionally we would say, "Man, that's a great recipe for a reelect." But I I just I increasingly get the feeling like that the old equations are just kind of out the window. Because on on politics of stuff, increasingly, there's not even that much difference like on debt and spending. Uh, You know, it's just like, I mean, there are a few things like the border, for example, that are, you know, real flashpoints of differences between the parties. But I saw some polling on that the other day that said that, uh, you know, out of the top eight issues that people care about, it's number seven. So I think that's a real polarizing issue. You're either for or against it. And, you know, it's not like a big swing voting issue. So, but I do think, that that again. If you if I think it might be a mistake to sort of conventionally say, "Oh, the economy's doing great, uh, got lots of jobs, Democrats are in the driver's seat." I just increasingly think that this, the the whole cultural piece is gaining more salience in, in the country generally, yeah. and that that's going to be kind of the new politics of the future. And you see Tucker Carlson talking about replacement theory and all this stuff. And it you know again, Republicans don't really have a lot of other places to go other than culture but and dr seuss what have you but and at first my my instinct was to kind of write it off sale oh, it's just a bunch of you know you it's, know it's just about the ridiculous dr seuss shit but i don't know you know <laughs> what do you
2: what do you guys think in three no years? i think you're onto something but remember this cultural stuff tends to work when you have an anecdotal something that becomes huge you know, road to nowhere. I mean, I helped a guy, a wonderful guy, get elected governor of Michigan saying we were going to sell the state helicopter and use the money for a billion-dollar property tax cut. And voters were like, okay. So I think these, these little things – a jet helicopter. It was a nice one. But we didn't get a billion for it. I'll tell you that. My point being, as this thing goes through, these little things being telescoped in the cultural world get elevated symbolically. And, you know, turn into like the electric car thing, you know, right now we 3% of Americans choose to buy an electric car and that's with a $7,500 federal check and Gibbs is raising his hand here. He's got a, a it runs on kale and solar. It's an incredible, uh, new, <laughs> new car. But so now we want to spend 200 and I'm doing my final rant. I, I, I promise 174 billion. Well, in Europe, they're selling 30% electric cars. Why gas is nearly eight bucks a gallon. So you want to sell electric cars? Put a gas tax on. That'll pay for all those stations without you know borrowing money from the Chinese like we're going to do. So I do think not tomorrow, but a year from now, when we're litigating the midterms, f- telescoping on little things like this, and pounding away would be where the Repubs, depending on the crazy factor, getting away, which is the new big risk. Uh, could have some traction and it could merge that cultural thing of us versus them tribalism, you know, the, 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 the great warring tribe stuff that Carlson's doing the very worst version of plus these little factoids that wind up defining the whole thing.
1: Look, I think there's some danger in the confluence of, as you both pointed out that these, these things kind of intermingling, I will say just let's take a, a part, a few of the things I, Broadband infrastructure, or broadband, is definitely infrastructure, right? Kids yeah, not I drinking. Agree. Kids not drinking out of pipes made of lead is infrastructure. I would argue that one of the ways that that you could see an increase in the electric car sales in this in this country is if people felt like there was an infrastructure of available. Uh, places to recharge your car so that you didn't have fear that you might run out of electricity in your car. I think that's a a healthy part of infrastructure. Mike, as you said, I I rolled over 42,000 gas-free miles in my car running an errand just yesterday. Thank you. That car's never stopped at a gas station and won't ever.
2: Now, Um, I'm a a car nerd. I got to ask you to endorse one. Are we talking Prius or Chevy Volt here?
1: No, I'm uh, I'm a I'm a Tesla guy. I'm oh, a, you're a uh,
2: Tesla guy. Okay, yeah, got it. I'm a, I'm it. a
1: Tesla guy, and right. bring a fire extinguisher. Uh, I'm, I, kidding. I, I'm kidding. i I I I started out with a Chevy Volt and went to
0: a Tesla, but I like the Volt. The, did you like your Volt? I did. Yeah. Hey, by the way, if I could just interject on this subject, you know, I talked to the uh, CEO of Ford Motor Company for the show The Circus, uh, who's a really interesting guy. Um, but he he talked about. I said, you know, what's the one thing that government could really do that, that would really juicy electric car revolution and he said you know put some infrastructure in those charging yeah. stations.
1: Yeah, because you yeah. know I mean look, like, there's a gas there's four gas stations on every corner. Uh and and you, again it's you have what is in in that parlance known as range anxiety. Do I want to drive 20 miles if I think I'm not going to be able to charge my car? All right, let's take a minute to hear from one of our esteemed
2: sponsors.
1: Murphy, I I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm always looking at a screen now more than ever. And, And whether you're an avid news watcher or in serious need of distraction, unplugging yourself is easier said than done. One of my favorite ways to rest my eyes and still get the content I'm itching for by putting in my Raycon wireless earbuds and listening to something great. Whether you're catching up on your favorite podcast, hint, hint binging on an
2: audiobook or powering through your workout with a pumped up playlist a pair of Raycons in your ears can make all the difference. Now look I will admit a pair of Raycons fell off the old truck and found their way to the Hacks on Tap testing laboratory here at my house. You might want to try to conduct the same experiments. And I like them the music is good and the battery life lasts and they're comfortable. They're pretty impressive earbuds and you dear listener can get them too and you won't have to worry about dangling wires or stems to get in your way. Raycons come in a range by the way. Way for a fashion plate like you, Robert, of stylish colorways, but always with a comfortable in-ear fit
1: for a more discreet look. I'm just glad those wires don't get stuck when you're on the elliptical, Mike. That's uh, that's the big thing for me.
2: At the high speed I operate on, yes, it could be it could be a <laughs> it could
1: be an explosion. And with enough battery life for six hours of playtime, you can unplug for a while. Raycon makes great sound accessible to everyone with wireless earbuds starting at half the price of other premium audio brands. And they're sweat and water resistant.
2: Back to my uh, elliptical. Raycon is offering 15% off their products for our listeners. And here's what you got to do to get it. Go to buyraycon.com slash hacks. That's
1: it. And what's the big offer, Gibbs? You'll get 15% off your entire Raycon order. So feel free to grab a pair and a spare. That's 15% off at buyraycon.com slash hacks.
2: Buyraycon.com slash hacks the magic word
1: we shouldn't let it pass that did you see that that murphy slipped in the chinese boogeyman there of the money we're borrowing from china to uh we've got the the whole we've got now the 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 full recipe for the midnight basketball act. <laughs> it's a lab test. I, uh... Uh, it is, but I will say this: you know, the, the let me tell you the one place that's not having arguments about how how much they're going to invest in infrastructure, China, right? The, yeah. the reason the, their 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 economy is growing, that's why they can lend everybody money. No, again, I think I think this is an argument that is going to play out. I think you you know, to, the the challenge will be can Republicans take normal infrastructure. Electricity grids, airports, roads, all that sort of stuff, and and make it a caricature. I, I, again, I think that the there's a real challenge on the Republican side to be message disciplined on this. I think they're going to go after too many other things.
2: I actually believe that you and I, you would pull up in your beautiful Tesla, I would roar up in my gas guzzling Porsche, and I'll bet we could we could come up with the sane, non political version of this thing for about a billion, a, a trillion one of the stuff that really makes sense. The question is, will they do that, or will it be a zero-sum thing where Biden gets almost all of what he wants? So I think for reconciliation, some of the labor stuff and other stuff snuck in here won't get through the parliamentary test. And the Repubs are not interested in finding the trillion-point-two compromise, uh, and they're just vote no and campaign against it totally, which is probably more likely. But you think there's any hope? Of a saner version of this thing for those of us who like infrastructure but don't like $2 trillion with a lot of transfer payments to humans rather than capital spending on stuff like electric stations and rail and ports, etc.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's very little chance that we yeah. get either a, a smaller or a skinnier bill. I, I think that the much greater chance that you, you get a, a bigger bill that passes.
0: <laughs> hey ch- speaking of the chinese boogeyman on this issue it, 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 you, mike talked about you know borrowing money but is there an argument that gets any traction uh to say to american voters listen part of the, the reason we're doing this or a big part of the reason to do it, is the chinese are spending like 100x what we're doing on this, you know, totally. uh, 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 their 100-year their plan to connect the world with bridges and seaways yeah. and, you know, their their Silk Road thing.
2: Yeah, the, the Golden Belt, all that. I think there is. I mean, and I think some smart people have talked about a long-term financing thing because interest rates are so low. So you borrow long-term from the Chinese to compete with them. And I'd be for that as long as we didn't have nearly a trillion dollars in here of stuff that as yes, I think phony infrastructure, and I don't mean broadband and all that. that that's going to be the problem for the, the, the Biden Republicans, uh, people like me who are conservatives but voted for Biden because Trump was so awful, worry about rule of law, worry about the crazy factor in the party, but on, we're fiscal conservatives. Now, I know the Republican Party has been huge hypocrites on this under Trump, but that doesn't mean we're not right on the policy argument, at least from our point of view. And Biden, with, with stuff like this, has given us no room. No room to be formed in the end, which, because uh, uh, it's just, it is, if you dig into this thing, there's a lot of traditional democratic stuff with a new, freshly painted infrastructure label on it.
1: To Mark's point, I think competitiveness globally is going to be a big message for the Biden administration on this. Uh, I, I, there's no doubt about it. Um, I, I do think, you know, I, I don't think the budget arguments are going to hold a lot of water. And look, I think the 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 to use a an infrastructure metaphor i think the bridge too far for republicans has less to do with the amount of infrastructure or even the type i think it is that biden is also reengineering the tax code inside yeah of that's bill. part two yeah right raising the corporate income tax or raising the corporate tax i should say uh and, and changing some of the 2017 trump tax you saw the republicans coming out of that meeting at the white house yesterday not really arguing Again, about the definitions of infrastructure, but lamenting the fact that to be for the Biden plan means to vote against their 2017 vote on the Trump tax cut. I will say, again, another example of why this isn't the 80s or the 90s or the 2000s and 10s, because there are not many Democrats uh, in the party, save a few that represent some very marginal er uh, areas that are, are not keen to have this fight. To raise taxes on people that are wealthy, to raise taxes on on big corporations, I just don't think that taxes and spending or taxes and spending are the boogeymen that they were just a few years ago. I think we're
2: going to find out because, you know, the Republican Party, as Mark well knows, and you know too, Robert – that's like asking any wedding band to play one of the obvious hits they, you know, they, they played it a thousand times. It's comfortable for them and they, they, they're comfortable in a tax fight. And so that, I think that is definitely coming and we'll see if it still has, you know, the same kind of, Kind of traction it did before, because now here, here's when I roll up at a gas station. Here, by the way, and somebody drives by in a beautiful Tesla that they were paid seventy five hundred dollars by the taxpayer to buy, and they roll down the window, and they're a good Democrat. They always ask me the same question: Are they going to bring STEM back for California, Illinois, and that is the deal where you can deduct your state and local high taxes on your federal, which went away. And Schumer's talking about bringing it back. So do you guys think that'll be part of the tax equation or that's gone forever? Because that's a big blue state donor thing. And I'm curious just for the politics of it, how the how the Dem leadership handles that, because I know their donors are irate about it in their money center cities.
1: I, it'll be interesting because you had a few members of Congress from the Northeast that basically said, look, without unless that SALT deduction is put back in, we're not voting for this. I have yeah. a feeling the pressure on this is going to be too hard to walk away from being for all the other things that Democrats and in their district are for just for the tax deduction. So my, my hunch is that in the end, that's not in the bill of what we see. That's my gut, too. In an homage to John McLaughlin, let's have an exit question. <laughs> I know for, for, for anybody under like 40, you're going to need to Google that. Um, what give me and maybe I should up the number of this. I wrote this out, so I'll up the number. What is the percent chance that Congress passes an infrastructure bill of more than a trillion and a half dollars this year? Ooh, good
0: question. Go (laughs) ahead, Mark. hundred percent. I think Gibbs is right that, uh, you know, I bet the over rather than the under on this at the end of the day. I think that's where the pressure is going to be. They're going to know it's going to be reconciliation, and they'll just, you know, give a half a trillion to Manchin in West Virginia.
2: Yeah, no, no, I'm going into the coal business tomorrow because uh, it it is going to be unbelievable. You know, I think they're going to pass one I think the parliamentarian is going to strip some of the welfare stuff out of it. The question is, does that number get to one five or below? If you had said one four, I would have said yes because I think you kind of landed on the number. So I'm I'm going to go, even though I'm not getting odds on this, and I'm going to say it'll be under one point five trillion.
1: Ah, all right. The I infrastructure.
2: I- now they've got another two trillion in the back pocket to finish off. So you know, Biden's going to be the only guy in two hundred days if the second thing is indeed another two trillion plus COVID to spend six trillion dollars in two hundred days. That beats FDR and real dollars beats everybody. It will be an amazing accomplishment. Though that will be really hard to do a reconciliation. So I think we might land at about one four to one six on this and then be pretty much done.
1: Yeah, I smell a bet coming on. I'm I'm with you. Yeah, okay. We're do it. We're do it. I'm taking a risk here. I'll de- definitely take close to Close to 100% on the over on 1.5. And
2: corporate taxes go up, right? We we believe that, yes. but I'm not sure it'll be 28. And that global tax regime deal is actually good policy. That might give them cover to get to 24, 25. Agreed.
0: Murphy, if you lose, you got to wear a Stetson next time I'm on.
2: You know, I own two of them. I'm wearing it next time. We'll be the, we'll be the right, twins. Dude. We need to get some guitars and work up an act. <laughs> All right, let's take a minute to hear from one of our esteemed sponsors. You know, Gibbs, a few decades ago, often under Republican government, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The interweb, or as you kids call it, the internet. Think about everything you browse, search for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. I'm getting scared here. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. So to keep your data
1: private when you go online, do what I do. Use a VPN. ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data, Murphy? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent to do it. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, your connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and your IP address is masked. So every time I
2: turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for those third parties to identify me and harvest my private data.
1: And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop, or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if you, like me, believe that your
2: data is your business, damn right, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash hacks on tap, our full name, and get three extra months for free.
1: That's vpn. dot com slash hacks on tap. Go to expressvpn.com slash hacks on tap to learn more.
2: I was out in California the other day, and I noticed a long line of ants in a parade. And I, I tracked them, and they went under defense to the neighbor who I think spilled some sugar or something. And it reminded me of the Republicans going to Mar Lago, where where Trump not only had that. You kind of got to admire the pretty boy Floyd level um, larceny of it all, but Trump not only summoned everybody, including a lot of uh, kind of the court Trump world of donors and politicians to mar lago he charged the party for it, you know, hundreds <laughs> of thousands of dollars. So it, it it's kind of an amazing thing, but sure enough, they showed up and there is an audio tape buzzing around. The Washington Post today has excerpts of it. And he went on one of his therapy sessions that was mostly about really going after the, you know, Mitch McConnell I think he called him a stupid SOB or something like that. Of course, he went after Governor Kemp, who he hates in Georgia. It was a pure rage fest beyond even what I believe we've seen before.
0: Yeah, um, and the Supreme Court.
2: Yeah, exactly. So what, what are we, I have a theory about that, but I want to hear from you guys. And then there's a ray of sunshine in it all that I will unveil.
1: Uh, you know, it's remarkable to, to your point that uh, not only did he get them all to come listen to his therapy session, but he charged them all. Right. You know, it's it's I don't know why on earth would the guy want to be president when you could just like have meetings and make tons of money? It just seems like a real crimp in his uh, in his act to uh, actually have to do work.
2: Yeah. It's like Charlie Manson robbing the victims first before, you know, the murder spree happens. It's just incredible.
1: I I do think this presents a structural impediment to the Republican Party. I mean, you just mentioned it Did, did. in in any of that rant and in any of the rant that ultimately got covered by the media, was there anything around the infrastructure bill? Was there anything around the midnight basketball ad that you just made on on this podcast?
0: Or the future? Any kind of policies about the future or ideas? I mean it it, it, it does it does testify to the absolute you know cul-de-sac that the Republicans are in. And by the way, Exhibit A of that is Nikki Haley. You know, yeah, as, totally. As we the one person who like put a toe in the water uh, of some criticism. And now has, you know, yesterday, I guess, come out and said she's supporting him for president. Those of us
2: who've been around South Carolina politics, and the Pauls down there, most of them will tell you privately with great emphasis that she's the most cynical person in American politics, which is saying something. And uh, there's a great old Dennis Miller joke about the Clintons that if that marriage were any more about convenience, there'd be a slurpy machine and a slim gym rack in the bedroom. And, you know, she's going to inherit that crown. But, you know, she's par for the course. And then you've got kind of Nikki Haley light, Christine Nome from South Dakota, who's down there totally trying to take that old Nikki Haley slot from Trump. If you were to take the quotes from Republicans by name, people from the RNC, Paul's guys, and women, Mark, that you and I both know, that were semi to pretty critical of Trump, even some donor voices from the meeting, and you were to publish those before the election, it would have been huge front page news. So the, the cracks are coming. They're just slow and not enough now. But the direction is interesting. I think.
0: Well, I think it's really significant and appropriate, and I was really happy to see that he was awarded a tiny bowl from the uh, from the Republican committee. <laughs> Did you see that? That was awesome. Yeah, it was fantastic. This participation trophy. It's like yeah, you finished
1: yeah. sixth in the golf tournament. Here's your uh, – I mean, I don't think you could put three apples in that bowl. The only thing yeah. that would make that whole picture better is if we figured out that uh, Rick Scott had – purchased that from like the gift shop at the Trump uh, hotel and that Trump also got paid for that. Yeah, that's the exact trophy
2: I got in fifth grade in the dog training academy for being able to walk in a straight line with the lab off a leash. You know, internally, they hate them, but it's a captive deal and they're, they're too willing to be captives.
0: So Rick Scott is a great example of somebody caught between a rock and a hard place. He's a senator from Florida who wants to run for president in 2024, but is head of the Republican uh, Senatorial Committee right now. And you know they, their incumbents uh, are who are up for re-election are like uh, like the South Dakota senator, help me, guys, um, Thune. Thune, yeah. You know, uh, Trump is threatening to primary. So Scott <laughs> at, at, down at Mar-a-Lago this last weekend, you know, as a way to show uh, just how much the establishment still supports him, gave him a very tiny. Silver Bowl of, called it, you know, the Presidential Freedom Award. So I think <laughs> trying to maintain the relations between the establishment Republicans and uh, their runaway ex-president.
2: This Rick Scott thing makes me laugh, too, because you guys all know, like two years ago, there's a staff meeting. And, of course, all the staff are Rick Scott for president. So, boss, we've got it. The genius idea. You wrangle the head of the Senate committee. And then we got all this money to spend making friends around the country. (laughs) We're going to set up the unstoppable campaign for president. Well, cut to they do it. And now he's the guy with a bunch of electeds that Trump, the guy wants to suck up to, is trying to kill. Well, meanwhile, Governor DeSantis in Florida is totally passing him in the presidential lane, and I think he's going to eat him for lunch. Yeah. So careful when staff have exactly bright right. ideas where they have the whole future figured out. Yeah. Things happen. Scott caught the car. Yeah, exactly. And now exactly. it's dragging him, bumping down the down the highway. <laughs>
1: But it's interesting too. I mean, I, I laugh, you know, now at the, the idea that at some point, you know, people thought this guy was going to start a whole new political party, as if this guy had this guy had the discipline to run a political party. Uh, and I, I got to imagine that, you know, even as they need him to turn out voters, you know, all these candidates are are, are looking at what happens at these events, and you know, put. Put 10,000 people in front of him and he'll go even crazier. And, and oh, by the way, maybe in minute 120 of his Castro-esque speech, he'll actually, you know, say the name of the person he's there to campaign for. I mean, it just it's a really interesting and fascinating thing uh, to watch. I feel yeah, like – And he charges you for that too, by the way. It's right, not cheap to bring him in to talk about himself. I mean, he is like the ultimate hostage taker. <laughs>
0: But you see the stranglehold that he still has in those Republican primaries. I just saw an article about what's happening in Alaska with Murkowski. And yeah. It looks like she's really in trouble.
2: Yeah. Though, you know, as we all know, politics is dynamic. And if the election were next week, they'd all be in trouble. But we, we got a year or more of hard wearing before this thing is marked to market and people actually vote. So, you know, we, we'd, see what, we'd see what Trump plus 300 days looks like. You know, maybe it'll be the same, but... Uh, the theory that, you know, Trump surprised a lot of us by being elected because things weren't the same, you know, a year after he started flirting with the idea of running. So, you know, I, to me, it's uncertain.
1: Are you both surprised, um, and maybe this is just because of the social media, maybe you're not surprised, that the, he's such a small percentage of our overall conversation these days? Are you Are you surprised he, he became such a diminished figure so quickly?
2: Not really, you know. I've been harping for a long time about his half life, but in the core of the Republican primary electorate, he's still alive and well. Yes,
1: no doubt, no doubt.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think conventionally speaking, I think a lot of us thought that he'd be taking up a lot more bandwidth just in the sort of national narrative. But I think to Mike's point, you know, this is a his micro targeting of these Republicans and primary yeah. uh, politics is still pretty significant.
2: And you know, being off Twitter hurt him, and yes. the fact that the press is somehow, you know. Walking past the blood bank without putting on the Dracula cape and running in and smashing up and drinking everything—they've really not given him a lot of oxygen. They're covering him right. in a much more appropriate kind of post-election president way than than they were when he was president, which is you know understandable and the correct thing to do. But I thought they might have taken the bait more, so I'm glad they didn't.
1: As an aside, I, I do love that uh, the the one thing they talked about is Trump. Trump may not get or the impediment to Trump getting more heavily involved in that Alaska Senate race with Murkowski is um, uh, not wanting to fly uh, all the way to Alaska <laughs> because it takes like six hours. And I'm thinking to myself, like, this is a guy who doesn't have the attention span to sit on his own private airplane for six hours to get to Alaska? I, it's um, <laughs> it, it, it will be a remarkable thing to watch.
2: And in the hacks on Tap Great Hall of Irony, I think we have to – award our tarnished crown to disgraced congressman and all around jerk matt gates who is the one republican who is not allowed to go in and suck up to trump because they won't meet with him i thought there was a hilarious little final chapter bit of irony there when i saw the clip that he had tried to get an audience well, with trump and i, I want to thank matt on. gates
0: for one thing which is you know i, I don't know what uh, if any of the potential charges will end up uh, coming to bear any fruit but I do think that he should be convicted and found guilty of felony stupidity and, and having a public venmo account by the way i want to thank him for that because i just made my venmo account private yeah, I, I
1: saw your tweet about uh, about uh, about venmo g- going private and all of a sudden i'm like what is he talking about i
0: didn't even know there was public and private I, no you, we
1: should <laughs> explain to
2: our our listeners who are mostly on telex and don't always follow the uh the latest payment technologies online, but uh, let's let's walk them through it.
0: Well, venmo is uh, is is an app in which you can uh, you can uh, electronically send money to people and unless you're uh, aware of it, which I wasn't, uh, that it's people can see all your transactions unless you go in and specifically, mark the box that says private oh hell i'm changing mine right now <laughs> that's what i that's exactly right no no yeah.
1: mike mike keep yours open so that that when you pay me for the infrastructure bet <laughs> everyone will be able to <laughs> see i just it. want uh,
2: everybody to know that house of whips is a whipped cream store <laughs> as i as i race to shut down my uh my venmo account here and feel free to send me money to pay off gibbs let's take a minute to do an ad and we'll be right back As you know, I have a long list of things that irritate me, but near the top of the list is packing, moving, and, you know, with so much mobility in our society now, we're doing it more than ever. And nothing, nothing is worse than moving heavy furniture, taking it apart, putting it back together. So long-time listeners, listen up. There is a furniture brand that is made for moving. It's called Burrow.
1: Easy to assemble and easy to move. Burroughs' innovative modular design and super helpful instructions make assembling and disassembling your furniture quick and hassle-free. Good news, Murphy, you can move quickly when the feds know where you live in California.
2: You know, we hold family drills and when I hear the sirens, we can we can basically have the files on fire and everybody out the back door in under 100 seconds. So we're we're ready for that in the great Vesco. There's a little name drop for you kids. Google it. Tradition. Now, look, these Burrow Credenzas are perfect for your TV with adjustable height interior shelves and even a cord organizing hole at each corner, which is great because we all have so many cords in our life with all our devices. Their award-winning Nomad sofa has, get this, a built-in USB charger so you can lay on the couch. This is like we're we're doing Axelrod's life here, taking conference calls or scrolling Twitter while charging your phone. And their all-new range collection of seating features wider seats. We all could use that deeper cushions, and a contemporary
1: Scandinavian look. Here's the best news maybe of all, Murphy. Spare yourself the warehouse trip and shop online. Everything is designed to work perfectly together in your living space, so all you got to do is add it to your cart. Plus, Burrow's world-class support team is available for you whenever you need them. With fast, free shipping on every order,
2: which will save you about a hundred bucks on a larger item like a couch. So right now you can get seventy-five
1: dollars off your first order at burrow.com/hacks. That's dot burrow, com wcom hacks for seventy-five dollars off your burrow purchase. burrow.com/hacks.
2: And by the way, I love Scandinavian furniture. <music> On to one more Washington thing as we, as we then uh, head down to the world of voter limitations. Corporate America is kind of standing up on Georgia, and they're getting some criticism from it. Uh, what do we think about that? Do corporations have the right to kind of get into politics with a lot of opinions and take a stand like that? Or should they just concentrate on getting the Twinkies on the store shelves?
0: Well, the great irony of this, of course, is that Mitch McConnell was the leader of Citizens United and saying that corporations are people. Right, the great Romney quote, and that they should have a voice, and so in fact, McConnell, of course, came out and criticized Delta and Coke and everybody, and then a couple of days, kind of walked that back. I think he got some blowback on it, but I would, I think you guys can school me on this. But in the last twenty-four, forty-eight hours, like another hundred corporations came out with some kind of joint declaration, right?
2: Yeah, no, it's steamrolling. And by the way, Romney's right legally; they are people, but they have a right to talk. I'm not. I'm kind of with Mitch 2.0 on this when he when he reversed. Uh, they absolutely have a right. And increasingly, in companies that rely particularly on highly skilled technical workers, like in Silicon Valley and, and the sciences and other places, that stuff is real internally in your in your competition with your competitors to attract people. We've done some work where we've done polls of, of employees in the tech world about giving to PACs or not. And the employees in the old days didn't want to give just in general its money now they're extremely concerned with which party the PAC supports beyond the interest of the company. Uh, so this is a real thing. You're going to see more of it. And I think this is an appropriate place for it to break through. Now, I think the Georgia bill in some ways, the hysteria about it can be a little overreactive. But they are trying to tighten up on absentee ballots and other things. That's totally wrong. And it deserves the criticism. So I'm kind of happy of cor. I'm kind of proud, I should say, of corporate America for being vocal
1: here. And you know, Mike, I was going to make the very point you did. I think this for all of the external heat that these companies are taking, I still think it is far more when that CEO walks down the hall or the the Zoom hall, if you will, now nowadays, um, and and has to explain the corporate stance inside of. Uh, the building is much, much harder than, quite frankly, what's coming outside. This is being led internally. We've seen it for a while. I also think, too, this is a big watch out for the I think for writ large for the Republican Party, because, you know, you you, you two know this, that these companies are reacting to now what is in the mainstream of America. Right. Co- companies want to sell to a 100 percent of people. They are not going to take positions that are represented by twenty or twenty-five percent of the people. They want to be with the majority of people, and issues like climate change, uh, issues like even issues like immigration, voting, are supported by sixty-five and seventy percent of the country, and that's where corporations want to be. and And I think you're going to see more of this. I think they're right to do it. I think, quite frankly, they don't have much of a choice. And I think it is going to put more and more pressure on different aspects of the Republican Party that are going to have to deal with this.
2: I agree. It's all part of modernizing conservatism. History doesn't wait.
1: Okay. One last
2: topic, the most powerful man in the Senate... Senator Joe Manchin has taken his wooden stake and plunged it in the heart of the filibuster with an op-ed in the Washington Post. Progressives don't like it, but uh, I think it's dead. And by dead, I mean removing the filibuster is dead. Double negative, I should clarify.
0: The Post editorial is pretty unequivocal. I mean, it's hard to see a circumstance where he can walk that back, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So I just don't know what that would be um, unless, you know, they're— you know, unless the Democrats lost other votes um, on an infrastructure bill that was like heavily invested in West Virginia, I,
1: I think he has been trying to say no for a long time, and and he finally had to put it in the post so that people could see what no meant for for him.
0: Um, Stop asking him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think exactly. you know it, it was exactly. it had
1: become kind of a a, a a well more than an obsession. I I think I look. I think that it is going to put limits on the non-economic, non-reconciliation agenda of the Biden administration. The one thing, though, that is clear, you watch this in the Biden meeting yesterday around infrastructure. I do think it is important, and I've said this before, that the Biden administration get caught trying to negotiate with Republicans To to the point we were having this debate on infrastructure. I don't think, quite frankly, Manchin wants to see the 50-vote filibuster replaced by the 50-vote reconciliation rush. Um, But at the same time, I think he understands the importance of needing more infrastructure investment. And it's important for Biden and the White House to continue to look like um, and act like they're willing to reach out to Republicans. Because eventually what's going to happen is, after all we discussed, the taxes and things like that, Republicans aren't going to be for a significant infrastructure investment, and that will demonstrate to Manchin that it's actually OK to be for reconciliation, even as he walks away from larger changes inside the filibuster.
2: Yeah, that's probably the path they have. If Manchin can be convinced that there's no other route in hopeless gridlock, and so it's, you know, and the Republicans have to play the reverse messaging on that, which is actually trying to negotiate. Because, you know, Biden's been calling for bipartisanship as long as it means endorsing 95% of his proposals. The great test will be infrastructure, because that's where there's a $900 billion Republican view and a $2.2 billion Democratic view. And where that lands is the test, I think. All right. It's time for... If you have a question for the hacks, you can email it to us. We actually read this stuff. And Beckett, by the way, you have a great question, but I'm going to wait till Dr. Axelrod is back to answer that one. Beckett being one of our 12-year-old going on 45, very shrewd questioners here. So thank you, Beckett. But if you have a question like Beckett did, email it to us at hacksontap at gmail.com. That is hacksontap at gmail.com. And don't forget to share the podcast. Rate us on Apple Podcasts or any other pod platform. We are on all of them. On Apple, in the lower right-hand corner, you can click a button and email it and irritate your friends. Maybe they'll like it and tune in. So we love listener feedback. All right, our first question for the professor himself, Mr. Robert Gibbs. And this is from Riley. Power in the House Democratic Caucus stems predominantly from leadership forming a top-down hierarchy. Conversely, the rank-and-file members of the House GOP conference, tell me about it, have an outside influence on the party's direction and messaging when compared to McCarthy and Scalise, their leaders. How can we explain this difference?
1: Well, I think part of it is Democrats in power right now, first of all, enjoy a very powerful speakership with Nancy Pelosi. I think there's no doubt that her fingerprints are on every big thing that has happened, uh, from healthcare with Barack Obama to COVID relief with, with Joe Biden. In 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 her ability to get things through her caucus and get them through the House of Representatives, I, I will say, you know, uh, in both sides, you're seeing um, you're seeing people become prominent that aren't necessarily or haven't necessarily been there for decades or years and years. You see this with AOC, certainly Mm -hmm. on the Democratic side. She's got a tremendous social following. I think, though, on the Republican side, it stems from the fact that in reality, the McCarthy's and the Scalise's represent, quite frankly, a, a very different viewpoint on Washington. They just now happen to be in charge of that very different viewpoint. In reality, the power center of the Republican caucus isn't with where McCarthy and Scalise have traditionally been. This isn't country club Republicans anymore. It's not, to your point, Mike, it's not John Boehner's Republican Party anymore. Um, It is very much a Marjorie Taylor Greene party. It's very much, uh, to be honest with you, you know, previous to, to his run in with the Justice Department, a Matt Gates party. I think there's that th- that's where the heat and light is. And quite frankly, that's what's driving Fox News and Newsmax and, and all of that stuff, whereas Rep- the Democratic Party has been certainly in the past few years, much, much more hierarchical. Yeah, I would just quickly say, and then, Mark, you might want to comment on the next question,
2: that that's where the core grassroots base of the party is. If you actually get the Republican conference together, a majority are still kind of Boehner-esque. That's why Mary Cheney survived. But they're quiet because they're scared of their own primary voters. And so the noise and fury does come out of that wing. And as Boehner said in his excellent book, which I highly recommend, it's a lot of fun, often the, the the caucus was running him, not the other way around. Part of it is they changed some of the rules so you didn't have quite the reign of terror from the leadership you used to have to keep everybody in line. But I think the observation is
0: true. Yeah. Mike, you, you said Mary Cheney, you meant Liz. Mary's oh, sister, I'm sorry. I always
2: make that because Mary Cheney is a friend of mine who used to work with me. So let me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's in, all in the family. Yes. I agree with sort of the, 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 the main conference still having a very establishment kind of Mindset, um, but the, the problem is to to exhibit a Matt Gates, who was you know in all of this quoted as saying something like you know my obligation is not to govern but to get on television as often as I can and and, and make waves that way. I mean his whole approach to government is to not govern and mm-hmm. do it through media, and that's, that's where all the noise and thunder is coming from, particularly on the Republican side.
1: I agree with that. For Mark, this is from Randall. I was watching an interview with Governor DeSantis in Florida and he immediately dismissed hard questions as fake. Do we have a new playbook in US politics? How long can we can we live with this new level of polarization? Do you see any off ramps?
0: Yeah, well, the question is how long does the Trump experiment continue to crackle and the you know, the big question that people have asked for a long time is can Trump be replicated? as a person or as a phenomenon? And and I think that's a, a very outstanding question. But if it can be, the guy who's you know likely to do it is Ron DeSantis. And remember that the way that he became uh, governor was because he was a, a congressman, kind of a lower-tier congressman who was on Fox News, com- always uh, licking Trump's boots. And uh, remember, he had the famous ad with his kids building a wall uh, and that's what got his attention to uh, win him the governorship. But but he has taken that playbook to an extreme. And, and it is, you know, uh, it, it is becoming increasingly a badge of courage or just a badge for Republicans to just shoot down anything in the ecosystem. And by the way, I think that's one of the big long term problems culturally and societally. Uh, of Donald Trump is to is to. Uh, You know, he was very successful making uh, uh, many people in this country not believe anything that they hear from mainstream media. Mm -hmm. And DeSantis is using that playbook and using it pretty effectively. And by the way, it helps people like Ron DeSantis when uh, news outlets, even credible ones like 60 Minutes, really screw it up like they did in a recent report about, you know, sort of pay-for-play situation with DeSantis that was, from all I can read, pretty off the mark.
2: You know, it's funny, in the, in the olden days, which you guys will remember, the old guaranteed home run line with Republican primary voters was always stuff like, it's our canal, we built it, we paid for it, an old Reagan line. Well, the new line is screw the media. That is the safest place to be in Republican politics is just to blindly trash the media. And you can see DeSantis is running for president because that's, that's where he happily is living, which is why you're
1: going to hear a lot more of those kind of answers. But I'll say to Mark's point, I think a really good point about whether somebody else can be Trump. And obviously DeSantis is probably a a, a better, uh, as good a Trump clone as we've seen. I am reminded at the end of that 2016 race, you had this kind of fumbling over, you know, Ted Cruz at first, but then particularly Marco Rubio decided that they were going to try to out Trump Trump. And it, it became pretty clear that. Trump was pretty good at being Trump, but Marco Rubio wasn't really good at being Trump. And particularly after you create try to create a persona that's not Trump. Uh, so it will be interesting because I think it will take um, – not not everybody can play that role. DeSantis obviously has been playing it a lot longer.
2: Yeah, I think Trumpism without Trump is hard. But of all those guys, DeSantis is both the most adroit and has the biggest political base being from Florida. So, I think he's an early shortlister in, in, in the uh, next presidential primary, but much yet to happen.
1: All right, Murphy, uh, we're going to save Beckett's question, as you mentioned, for when David comes back. But let's get this one from Garrett. It seems HR 1 is doomed to fail without the filibuster being removed. Do you think a narrower bill that focus so, focuses solely on reforming gerrymandering would get any Republican votes in the Senate? Are moderate or retiring Republican senators, if any still exist, at all inclined Ah. to support gerrymandering reform, as without it, it allows the crazy wing of their party to win primaries?
2: Yeah, that is a tremendous question, Garrett. So one, HR1 is doomed, and in my view, should be doomed. It's a huge overreach. Uh, The question in the Senate is political. Could there be a slimmed-down bill Um, Mostly about, uh, let me do one scenario, voting rights, you know, to keep absentee ballots more accessible. I'm a believer that we ought to have easy, no excuse absentee balloting like we have in California and all 50 states. Um, Could something narrow like that get through? I'm not sure it ought to. The Republicans should be morally obligated to do a small, narrow correction to Georgia and other other bills like that that are coming out of Republican state legislative caucuses. The practical politics will be if a narrow bill like that is created, can the Democrats make it a wedge vote? Uh, in 2022, so the Republicans not only will get, I think, a moral failure in opposing it, but a political pain dose, too, which always is the great motivator. But I will say on the pure politics, on the other side, on the Democratic side, people are going to say, no, let them kill H.R. 1, and then we campaign against them like crazy as a bunch of bigots, etc., etc. That is going to help us in 2022. So it is kind of what political theory the Democrats have, because they control the floor, and they're going to make that fight in the Senate. As far as redistricting, a little tougher because politicians all hate to mess around with redistricting. I would be for a bill like that. I like the Iowa system. We we did some reforms here in California. We did a, a commission, which has helped. It's not perfect. But because politicians have friends in districts and it gets cynical, the whole redistricting thing is a is a tricky place to go temperamentally. That said, a narrow bill like that would be good policy. I don't think it's quite the wedge bill that a – uh, stop fooling around if people's right the vote bill would have, but it might get a little support. I'd be surprised if it bubbles to the top. Well, that does it, right, Gibbsy?
1: Are we, uh,
0: we wrapped up here?
1: I think we've, we've talked it all to death. Mark, thanks again <laughs> for, uh, for beaming in and, uh, and sharing your thoughts.
0: Absolutely, guys. Kick it hard. Carry on
2: regardless. (laughs) And to our listeners, remember, mark your calendar, the circus on Showtime, created and co-hosted by the great Mark McKinnon and his hat. They both make a double appearance, double build. Excellent show. It comes back, uh, I believe, Labor Day weekend, Mark. Is that correct?
0: That's right. We'll be back in September.
2: Tune in. It's must-see TV. Mark, thank you very much. Gibbs, great to see you. Good to see you both. Take care, guys. See you
0: guys.